you're listening to SA Talk, San Antonio's favorite podcast for discussions involving the Alamo City. I'm your host and favorite retirement advisor, Zachary Espericueta. Today is Friday, September 17th, and this week we have Cora Lawning, aka Coach Cora, joining us on the podcast to talk about self-leadership, how to view your employer as a client of yours, and being more confident in your career. Before we get started, I want to thank you all for tuning in to this episode of SA Talk. Be sure to follow or subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you're using, and also give us a follow on social media to keep up with the show. Now, this week's guest, Cora Lonning, is an executive coach and OD consultant, that's organizational development, specializing in value-driven culture and purpose-driven behaviors. Cora has brought her unique, creative, and interactive approach to learning at many well-known companies in South Texas. This includes Holt Cat, Spurs Sports and Entertainment, Frost Bank, City of San Antonio, Alamo Colleges, Credit Human, Southwest Research Institute, and even Whataburger. Outside of the corporate arena, Cora has taught as an adjunct professor for over 12 years in the field of communication, training, and business leadership. Having worked within the youth development field alongside her father, Cora witnessed the impact of self-development. She truly believes that through emotional literacy and other learning competencies, people are empowered to choose their own life scripts and create different outcomes than what they previously thought. Cora speaks to these ideals in her recently published book, number one Amazon new release, Trapped, breaking out of the five dysfunctional lies you have been sold. So without further ado, let's get right into my conversation with Cora Lawning. Cora, I appreciate you joining me on Essay Talk. I'm really glad that I get to speak to you today. I'm so glad that I was introduced to you by our good friend Jacob, of course. When we first spoke, it felt like a like a therapy session almost for me in terms of my career. So I'm really glad I get to share kind of this conversation with my listeners. The way I usually like to start out this podcast, Cora, is kind of giving you the floor to introduce yourself, kind of how you got to this point in your career, and let the listeners know what your background is. Excellent. Well, thank you for that opportunity. It is an interesting story that took a little bit of a twist. I had been a self-employed realtor for many, many years coming out of the food service industry and went into real estate. And I had my real estate license for 12 years and enjoyed it. There was a lot of things about it I enjoyed. I was ready to go to the next level. And there was just a lot going on with land laws and our rights as property owners. And so I decided the next step for me was to become a a real estate attorney. Oh, wow. (laughs) All kinds of turns. And and one thing that I knew I was very good at, uh, particularly as a real estate, was taking a side and defending it. I was very good at that. I was very good at taking care of my clients and, and negotiating for best interests and persuading and influencing. And I was going to take care of my clients. So I wanted to go to law school and I was going to, I had my eye on Lewis and Clark Law School. I was going to get my degree and that was my trajectory. So I had to get my undergraduate, of course, first. And I just kind of wanted to get that out of the way. And so I landed at a private university And they were very academically inclined. They also had a philosophy of whole person development. When I got there, they had this whole thing around, we believe in developing you as a human being, whatever. You're like, whatever that means. (laughs) (laughs) When do I get my degree? (laughs) And I remember showing up and they were, and it was constantly every class, 
I kept getting feedback. And it was just the point where like, pour my office some feedback. Like, go ahead, everybody else goes. I couldn't believe the amount of feedback I was getting. It was frustrating at first, but after a while, it really was so enlightening. And I was trying to learn about me. Like, wow, this is incredible. I chose communications because I thought, well, if I'm going to be in law, I should probably learn how to communicate so I can go present my cases, right? <laughs> and in fact, I was invited to do a presentation as a graduate for the incoming students. And I remember my opening line. When I started here as a student, I knew who I was, where I was going, what I wanted, and why I wanted it. I knew who I was. <laughs> and as soon as I started school, I didn't know where I was going, who I was, what I wanted. And it was a beautiful <laughs> journey. I learned so many untapped skills that I had. The undeveloped and untapped side of me was the side that was ex exceptionally good at collaboration and was really good at negotiating and bringing people together. And I was much better at that than taking a side and dividing people. And it was so powerful for me. I did my internship at the uh, Dispute Resolution Center. <laughs> and I remember my husband at the time, so let me get this right. You're going to be a part of conflict, other people's conflict for nothing. You won't be paid. You're just going to sit there and be in the middle of these disputing parties for free. I thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so what I learned and why this all matters is because I learned the power of communication. And so as I came out of my undergraduate, I think there's a different track for me. So I ended up going to my master's and getting my master's in organizational development. And I ended up doing a training development in my real estate career. I, that's where I started doing training and development. But then when I got my degree, I started really teaching the power of communication, behavior, and emotional literacy to other realtors, lenders, and really become focused on that. I always like hearing stories like that, you know, where you start out on one career path, you have some goals, you have plans, and something happens, whether it be in that job, or maybe while you're attending school, or something happens, where it kind of just like changes, it pivots, and you go in a different direction. You know, I was invited, I think it was either earlier this year, or late last year, to speak to a broadcasting class uh, at my old high school. And the teacher wanted me to talk about podcasting, but the teacher also wanted me to talk about my journey after high school. Cause these are high school kids, right? I was alumni of that high school. That's the whole purpose I'm there, right? It's a whole, and they want to learn about podcasting. That was their unit they were going over during that time period. But the teacher also wanted the kids to learn that that happens all the time where you have a plan in mind. You say, you know what? This is what I want to be when I grow up, right? We always this get asked that going. question. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then you go to college for that or maybe even something else. And again, you think you're on this one path and then you graduate college and you, you start doing something and then it couldn't even be till maybe three, four, five years later that you realize, oh shoot, I want to do this. You could already be in your career and then you figure you want to do something else. I, I just like hearing those stories because I think it's absolutely true that no matter what kind of plan you try to set for yourself, you, I think over time, just through ex your life experiences, you kind yeah. of realize what you're meant to do in a sense. And even then you may learn something about yourself when you're 40, 50 years old that you're like, wait, I want to do this now. <laughs> like it that's just, right. it can happen at any stage of life. It can happen multiple times. And I think that's important for people to understand it, at least keep in the back of their mind as they're going through, as they're trying to reach their goals, as they're going through their right. plan per se is like, keep that in the back of your mind. Like you're always looking to, what am I good at? What do I enjoy? How can I right. get be fulfilled? Right. 
and being open to that, right? Right. Being, yeah, being open to that. And, you. you know, yeah. Cora, you talk a lot about um, taking responsibility, uh, realizing your own power in your career, um, and just kind of living a life with courage. So I guess my question to you, or one of the questions I have for you is, wh- what can that look like in the workplace? What a great question. And I'll give you a contrast. My brother graduated from high school had a couple of jobs right out of high school and made the decision to go in the military. Went into the military, had a successful career. He was in for 12 years and then went into the reserves. Coming out of the military, he was well-trained and hired on by great companies. He worked for NEC of America, worked for Intel, incredibly secure career-wise. I mean, military. (laughs) (laughs) Great benefits. And he was highly in demand at NEC and Intel and so there came a time, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, you know, maybe 2009. I think it was an economic downturn about 2009. And so they started uh, asking for volunteers for retirement, right? That was at the time, that was a deal. We'll give you a year's pay if you'll leave. So what he talked about was being incredibly fearful. Never in his life had he ever been unemployed and had to really go out, look for job. Um, worry about benefits. What did that mean to not have an employer ensuring that he was going to be okay, seeing to his career trajectory? Uh, He was so scared. Conversely, you have me, who majority of my young life, I was either self-employed, working in an entrepreneurial career, and then moving into sales. In sales, you have a lot of control of your income. So when my husband retired and I thought, okay, well, I'll go. And I had completed my master's degree. We made this agreement that I would go to work and get benefits. And it scared me to death that I was going to actually go inside a company and have to depend on them that they were going to decide what I earned. I felt like I was giving up control of my life to go. And it was so incredibly scary, scary for me. I'm sure that's interesting for for a lot of people that come from, you know, an entrepreneurial background. I can't relate to that in terms of that order, like going from, you know, being more in control of your income to working for a company, getting a salary, here are your benefits, this is what it's going to look like, we determine your job status kind of thing. It, it was the opposite for me, right? Like that's that's how I started my career, working for a company and then kind of making the leap to being self-employed. Right. And so going the other way around, I don't know. And I I think about that all the time. Like, what would it look like if I ever did go back to a company and now I'm not in control of my schedule, I'm not in control of my salary, in a sense, right? right? I'm not in control of whether I have a job or not. So, you know, that's that's interesting going the other way. So your question was, what does it look like having courage, having strength in the workplace? When we feel like, you know, what is what drives fear, what drives frustration, humans are wired to feel like, hey, do I have some semblance of control of my life and my environment? And so if I'm going to work every day and I'm not sure, am I going to show up today and they're just going to say, that's it, you don't have a job? And so that starts to drive fears. So whether we know it or not, there's a lot of fear either way. So in the workplace, though, I mean, what how can you realize that own power that you have? Like, what is the type of responsibility you can give yourself? Because I think a lot of people might feel that like, they're they're working for a company, and they feel like, well, I'm, you know, 
I have a bad boss. I have a terrible boss and they don't give me good reviews and, you know, I'm never going to make it at this company. But how can you or I have a great boss, but they're 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 limited the budget doesn't allow raises as right. good. how good of a job I did and how great my boss is. So someone who's in that kind of role, how can they kind of realize their own power? Great question. So what I promote and propose, focus on the things you do control. When we look less at our employer as less of a responsible for the economy of our world, we look at them as a, a customer, right? I'm in charge of my life. I'm the boss of me. And my company just happens right now to be my biggest customer. And so if I'm running my company, I'm going to make sure that my skills are marketable. And then I'm continuing to grow my knowledge, grow myself. And I'm not going to leave that up to my client to do. I'm not waiting for them to take care of me. That what I'm doing is constantly growing and developing and adding skills. What is relevant to the market? And what does the market need? And then I'm asking myself, what does that client need? Am I showing up and doing the job that I'm asked? Or am I looking for what is, what is the value that the organization needs? So that when I start to feel like, gosh, I'm trying to add value, but they sure seem to be distracted over here. I can say, hmm, I wonder if something's going on with the company. Not taking it like, oh my gosh, nobody's talking to me, but there must be something going on with the market, with the company. Am I paying attention? Am I networking? Do I have networks in and outside of my company? And if I start to see that there's some challenges, I amp up on my networking. I'm reaching out to everybody. My network is in place. I know that I'm looking for new customers. And I think that's where people might later on in life have the regret of, and I I hate saying that word. And I, I, you know, I don't like to think that I have regrets. And I, I think nobody wants to have regrets. But that's a regret that some people have is that they didn't view their career in terms of what you're explaining, having the company they work for be almost like a customer in their eyes. Whereas like, what value am I providing? My position is this, this is what I offer to my company. But can I offer that same value to this company over here? You know, or this company over here looks great. Can I offer that to this company? And and I think people get so, I guess you could say complacent or content. I'm sure there's other words that you can use. But that's what happens is that they get so comfortable because that's who's paying my bills. That's who's giving me my benefits. That's where I feel safe. And so I'm going to stick here. And you're almost doing yourself a disservice from what it seems like because right. you're not putting yourself in the best position to to succeed. So then it ends up turning into, it leads to a lot of whining and complaining. Well, <laughs> those yeah, because they become so frustrated. And here's what happens. Here's what's interesting. And I, talk, I have so many conversations with people about this. I call it misplaced loyalty. People feel obligated to be loyal to their customer, to their employer. And so I, I ask people to really examine the definition of the relationship. People will jeopardize their loyalty to their family and to their future to be loyal to an entity that is, does not even have a capacity to be loyal back by its very design. So an organization is set up to be profitable and sustainable long-term. And so the top leadership is going to make decisions as they should, as they're paid to, to sustain the organization financially. That could mean, if the market changes, eliminating positions, 
changing directions, changing strategic goals, needing new skills, not needing other skills. So they don't even have the capacity to say, we're going to be loyal to you and we're going to keep you forever. What they do have the capacity to say is, we're going to do what we need to do to keep this building, this this business running. So while you're in our employ, we're going to try our best to pay you fair market value, give you fair and, and equitable benefits. And so I've had so many conversations with people that have said, I love doing accounting. I love sitting and doing you know, numbers. I've been an account payable for however long. Well, my company, they changed, they automated, they no longer need that many cases, but they said I could go over here and be a customer service person. That's a very different job to go from sitting at a desk and being task, head down, task focused, managing numbers, to now you're going to be over here at this desk and customer interface all day. But they said, well, that's what my company asked me to do. They said they were short over here. They didn't need me over here. So I did what my customer asked me, what my employer asked me to do. Three years down the road, they are miserable and they've lost a sense of self. Because what they didn't say is, I, it's just not in me. It's not my style. It's not my preference to spend my days interfacing with customers all day. I, I, I'm, a, I'm an accounts payable person. I like numbers. And so if you no longer have that position, thank you for letting me know. How about in 30 days, we end our relationship and I go find another relationship with somebody else? My generation, uh, millennials, we kind of get a bad rap in the sense, well, however you look at it, that we're in between jobs all the time. Generally, it's said like, oh, you just jump around. You, you, y'all can't hold a job. Those are all things that we kind of just generally see said about our generation in terms of the work. Now, in your opinion, based on the work you've done and your career experience and even the coaching, which we're going to get to a little bit later on, do you think that plays a part into it? Do you think that maybe my generation or even someone, even generations after, have kind of just realized that and, and, and have a better sense of looking inward and saying, this is not a job I want to do. Look, I can offer my talents elsewhere. Like, do you think that's just something that our generation learned from our parents? Absolutely. Your parent, you watched your parents stay in positions they didn't want to stay in, watch them be miserable. And that's a huge generational difference. And so as a, as a young person, if you sit and watch somebody give their whole life to a company, and you missed out on interacting with your parents because your parents were so busy giving everything they're all to a company. A lot of millennials watch that. And so yeah. they have a very different sense of what loyalty looks like. The reality is 30, 40 years ago, companies didn't change as much. The market didn't change as much and it's often. So if a company brought somebody on, you actually could work there for 40, 50 years and work your way all the way up to the top. That was a very different world. We don't live in that world anymore. There's so much change going on. And, and, and most people, the younger generation, when you're in school, why am I studying for a, a specific job when the job that I'll end up having probably doesn't even exist yet? You know, and that's interesting. I, I, I don't want to dive too much off to the side here with that, but that's something I've thought about, you know, in my own college experience years and years ago, from what I hear, you know, you would go to school, you'd you'd major in something and that's what you would end up doing. And that's what you would do for the rest of your life. And hopefully your company had a pension because pensions were around back then. That's right. And, and that's what you would do. But, you know, as the years went on and this, hap this started happening before my time in college, but as, you know, things progressed and things changed, 
right. you started seeing more, hearing more stories of, well, I went to school for this and ended up doing this. Because again, it all goes back to what we talked about in the beginning of this recording in that you don't really know what you love doing until you do it or don't do it, right? <laughs> like you, right. just because it sounds cool or maybe that's what your parents did or a friend did this and it sounded nice and they look like they're enjoying their life doesn't mean you are good at it. It doesn't mean you might enjoy it. I think that's interesting thinking back on like, because I, I think of myself, and again, I try to live with no regrets in the sense of, well, I wish I could go back and change that. I think of my college experience a lot and think like, oh, if I could go back and do do it over again, what would I major in? Maybe I'd major a little more in finance. Maybe I would take a few more communication courses because I like podcasting. And again, that's what you were kind of alluding to, right? And like, you, you don't know what job you're going to have in 10, 20 years. So how do you know what you should be majoring in? And I, and I just wonder, again, I know I said I wasn't going to dive too much off to the side and I am. I just wonder if that's going to change the structure of further education, you know, college education going forward in the next 15, 20 years, you know, instead of, oh, you got to pick your major and that's what you're going to graduate with more of kind of like a flexible plan, a flexible degree where you're like, you know, I want to try this and I want to try that, or I can go back and learn more of this, something like that, you know. Other than your technical skills, such as medical, computer, right? I think most likely what we're already starting to see is you're going to end up with certifications, specialized training. I I think this would be cool. Personally, this is like a dream of mine. If you graduated from a certain school, a university, college, whatever, whatever you graduated from, I wish that whenever you wanted, you can go back and enroll in a course for a lesser cost because you graduated from there, you know, like, and you already paid tuition and fees so that you can go back and take a course. And yes, you're still going to pay, but you pay a lot lesser amount, like 10% of what, you know, I wish you could go back and do things like that. Or even, and especially now that a lot of things are more online and people are more uh, adapted to virtual learning and things like that, that would be something that I would like to see in the future. Like maybe a classroom, a physical classroom couldn't hold all the people that want to come back and take that course. They have some of those free courses that they offer that have like 5,000 students in it. It's volunteered, the, the instructors go in and they just, they're there. And here's the information. It's more of a peer-to-peer learning environment. Well, like I said, I didn't want to dive too much off to the side. Yeah. But what I did want to kind of shift to is the work you've done with different organizations. Because, you know, kind of just going through your your previous positions and roles you've had at different companies, you know, including Colt, uh, Holt Cat and, and Whataburger, you know, just to name some of the bigger names, you know, you've done a lot of organizational development and kind of talent development in those organizations. So, I mean, what has that been like? Are you kind of working together with leadership at these companies? Are you kind of like the in-between the leadership and and the employees and saying, you know, how can we really develop this talent and keep them here? So organizational development is, yeah, it's a liaison by the very sense of the word, right? In like many fields, you have your specialty within organizational development and organization has their strategy, their goals, their direction. And then you have your workforce that implements that. And so who is it that says, okay, here's where we're going. Here's what we need to accomplish. What skills, knowledge, and abilities do we need to be able to execute on that? And what does it look like in execution? And so your OD, that's, that's kind of that going down and watching and, and interacting with the people 
who are implementing the strategy, the goals, the objectives of the organization, carrying the organization in the direction it wants to go. They can only do that if they have the knowledge, skills, and ability they need. And what are their barriers? OD comes in and is more diagnostic versus the antagonistic. It makes the assumption that people show up with the intention to want to do a good job, to want to strive, to want to feel good and feel, feel proud of the work they do. And so OD asks a question, well, then what's getting in your way? Is it, a, is it a skill? Is it a policy? Is it a procedure? Is it communication? Is it access? Is it versus the untrained leader who usually says, you big jerk, you're not doing it because you don't want to. You know what I mean? And so it's training up. And it's communicating and then it's going back to leadership and saying, we you launched this initiative. Well, this process over here is a barrier or this policy is directly in conflict with this initiative. So, you know, some of these companies and, and I'm this I can pull from personal experience when I used to work at Frost, you know, speaking of development and developing talent, you know, they would have uh, workshops, I guess you would say, that you can attend. And usually, um, as far as the, the personal bankers would go, which was the department I worked in, sales, retail, whatever you want to call it, um, usually the manager would encourage us to take one class a year, whatever it might be. There was DISC and um, Seven Habits of seven habits of highly, of highly Effective People. You know, there's different courses that you could take, um, in- including DISC, which you know of. What I found interesting about that, and it was kind of brought to my attention, I think this may be more of like a like a conspiracy theory kind of thing. <laughs> but but to, honestly, it kind of made a little sense to me. You know, they tell you, they label you a certain thing. You're a, you're a high I and a, and a low S or whatever it might be, right? For me, it was a very high C is what it was, okay. which I understood. But, you know, there's some other studies out there that kind of go to show like when you're labeled something like that, you take these personality tests, they're telling you, well, you're this, it kind of just like stays with you. And then you always tell yourself you're this. And it's almost like, it's almost like a barrier that you've created for yourself. Like, okay, well, this is what I am. And that's it. I'll never be a D, Mm -hmm. right? I'll never be an I when I'm talking about disc in this example, right? Right. you right. know, and, and, and I wonder like, is, is that good or bad? Like it's good in the sense that it makes you maybe think about yourself a little more, but I also think of the other aspect, which is, well, then it kind of just puts a label on you. Like that's what you are. And then, and then it makes me wonder like, well, then does management look at me differently because maybe they're looking for someone who's a C to be in this position, but I'm not a C, I'm an I, you know? And I wonder that, because I remember it got brought to my attention one time, they're like, oh, they they label you as that. And I wonder, like, if our companies, our larger companies doing this, where they're like labeling us something, and then that's just what we are for the rest of our career there. You know what I mean? I do, and um, now you're gonna get me up on my soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) So any tool, used inappropriately becomes right if you if, if you used a, a hammer to change a light bulb it's not going to work very well right and so when we use tools exactly for what they're for they're highly effective when we use tools inappropriately they do damage so disc is designed to do nothing more than help us communicate more effectively with each other it's kind of like the the training wheels to understand that people are different. What happens is organizations start off with this label 
And then that become, the, then they stop with it. Okay, everybody just needs to know the label. You're a C, you're an I, you're an S, right? And then people glom on to that because they love looking at other people and being able to decipher them. And then they don't deepen the learning organizationally and individually to understand that there is no label because no one of us is a C, no one of us is a D. All of us are all four colors and we're very fluid. So I may have a preference and default to a D. I'm perfectly capable of being an I, I can very I. But when I'm working on a budget or a schedule, I fall into my C mode. Now it takes me a lot more energy to be in a C mode and I can't spend as much time there, but I, but I can. And there are times when I have to go into my S mode and that takes more energy. But put me under pressure and I, and I default and I come out and I demonstrate D behavior. So what that means is, can you as an individual, when you have somebody sitting across from you, hear the word choice, observe the behavior, not the label that somebody stuck on their forehead and says, they're a D, regardless of how they show up, regardless of what they're doing right in front of you. Can you listen to the person and say, oh, okay, this person is telling me through their behavior what they need. And because I understand that what I need right now is we're speaking two different languages until one of us adapts and adjusts. And I think that's a good point. I, I think it's important, like you said, for the organization, for the company as a whole, for the culture that they have to make sure that they are using whatever personality style test it is. In this case, we're talking about DISC, but whatever right. personality style test they're using, that they're using as more of a communication tool, like you said, right. instead of a labeling tool. And that's I think right. that's where it, goes it needs awry. to be distinguished. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it and would scare it. me. It would scare yeah. me sometimes. And I love yes. if, if my managers are listening. I love them. I love you guys. But anytime it was brought to my attention or I was reminded that I was a C by one of them or someone else. And I just it, it went to the back of my head. Like, why are you calling me a C again? Are you thinking of me in a certain way right now? Like, is it because, you know, why do you keep bringing it up? <laughs> Things and like it's, that. It, you know? And it's fascinating because what will happen is. I've even been in organizations where they start using DISC as a hiring tool. It's like, no, 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 no. Right, right. That's exactly what I mean. It is not a hiring tool. (laughs) It's not a promotion tool. It never should be. And it's not a coaching tool, right? It was never designed for that. There's great instruments out there that you can use. DISC isn't one of them. And so I've been in organizations where it's like, this is a D organization. Let me see your leadership makeup. And then you can see, not only are you hiring D, Everybody's demonstrating D behavior and everybody's afraid to type out authentically because D is the favorite style. And I have had these conversations. I've sat down and coached and said, you're an ass. You're high preference. Why are you ashamed of that? Oh, no, we, we, you know, everybody around here is like, and they'll tell me everybody who wants to be a leader has to demonstrate these behaviors. They said, you know, S's can't be leaders. And I was like, who told you that? I learned in class. <laughs> Anybody can be a leader. It has nothing to do with your preference. It has everything to do with how you choose to treat people. Correct. I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought up coaching because it's a great segue um, as we kind of shift gears here. You know, something personally that I believe is that as you progress in your career, I think again, this is my personal opinion. But I think that you should share your experiences. You should share your your knowledge and your expertise 
in whether it's through coaching, whether it's through just offering knowledge, maybe on social media, just offering help, some tips, things like that. I think it's important to do so like as an expert in the field. And that's something that you do, Cora. You have a lot of experience working with individuals, developing talent. You know, like we talked about earlier, realizing your own power, right? Whether you work for an organization, whether you're a leadership role or just an employee. And that's something that you do. You offer career coaching, um, self-leadership, things like that. So kind of talk about the different coaching that you do and, and why it's beneficial. So I do believe in coaching. <laughs> I've been a coach for many, many years and I've and I've utilized coaching. I, I'm a big believer. I've, I've gone and utilized coaching services from others. And the beauty of coaching, especially well-trained, well-hearsed coaches that really know how to coach and ask really good questions. It's the ability to ask questions and reflect back so that you can really hear your own internal reflections and goals and challenges and barriers. Stuff that otherwise, there's just so many things that we don't think about on a day-to-day basis. Day-to-day, we're transactional, we're responsive to our environment, we're moving through life. So when we hire a coach, a coach, number one, isn't going to tell you what your friend, your friends, friends are your friends, they're going to be supportive and kind and every once in a while they'll give you good feedback and, and tell you, you know, some things, but a coach is really going to ask the hard questions. And you learn so much about yourself. And so if you really are saying, I really want to set goals for what my life is going to look like, really having somebody who's trained to ask the questions and trained to help you set those goals and trained to really help you architect that future is helpful. So if someone wants to hire you, I mean, how can someone start? Do they just need to get in contact with you? Like, do they, um, is there a process? Is there kind of like a hiring process almost that they have to go through with you? Do they sit through some kind of information session? How can someone do that? Well, they can reach out on um, Coach Core on LinkedIn. I also have CoachCora.com website, or they can come to Coach Cora on Facebook. So it always starts with that 30 minute discovery call where they get to just have a conversation with me. because a coaching is something that it has to be work for that person. What are their goals? Uh, what do they hope to accomplish through coaching? I'm not the right coach for everybody, but I know a lot of coaches. If somebody called up and said, you know what? I really want to set performance goals for myself, some career goals, and mostly around myself as a leader and or as a performer. I really want to work on my personal power, my personal confidence. That's where I specialize in emotional literacy, performance, and leadership. How do you measure results with with those clients? You know, is it just kind of receiving feedback from them or is it figuring out whatever goals they may have and just saying we reach them or not? So we set specific goals. If it's behavioral, we set behavioral goals. If it's performance, we set performance goals. Are you staying in touch with them even afterwards, like after these sessions have taken place? I have people that I still am in touch with from 20 years ago. Oh, wow. Reach out. Yeah. Well, and you've also turned some of that knowledge into courses and, and a blog, like on your website. You know, you mentioned your website earlier, coachcore.com. You know, I noticed on there that there is a blog, but there's a course on there or a couple of courses that you can do. So kind of talk about that. Well, the courses are, they're not fully developed yet. That's, uh, that's coming. 
Um, so that'll have uh, Coach Core University where I develop some of those online courses. So I have the I have a closed subscription group where we come and we discuss about emotional literacy and we dive really deep into our drivers and the drama triangle and really get into the, the emotional drivers that cause behavior, cause triggers and where people can really um, capitalize on the power of the pause and choose their responses. And, and then from there, and they have individual coaching as an option. And then from there, I'm building out the e-courses that they can take. And then recently, you had a book come out, right? Dude, Trapped with, of course, talking about the five lies. And what I what I liked was the core isms that, that are kind of embedded throughout. So, well, I mean, what was that like? You know, how long have you been working on the book? And what was that like getting it through, you know, production and kind of getting it out there on Amazon? You know, what was that like? Well, it was quite a process. You know, this book has been in my head for over 10 years. And so with all that was happening with the pandemic, that really just pushed it out. And I just set a, a pandemic goal, like, I'm going to finish this. And it is about self-leadership, true, but it's also about all those people that just are coming into the organization and then leaving damaged. And so that journey was continually being in these organizations and interviewing and working with all these people that just felt so wrong, felt injustice, felt damaged. And I just kept hearing this and experiencing this. So finally, I just was like, so much was happening during the pandemic. I just thought I have to finish this. And so I, a writing coach, right? And it's like, oh, we can whip this out in 30 days. And so I'm like, oh, I can gather all this on. I did my outline, I wrote, and I love to write. I love to write. As outgoing as I am, back to your question about disc, right? Everybody thinks, oh, core is an I, which I'm not, right? How can I sit down and write? And so I got it all written and I got it all organized. And then came the editing part. Oh my gosh. I'm very creative, but it was a nightmare doing the editing part. I think so, I'm the opposite. I think I enjoy editing. I, I, I think I do not like writing. <laughs> Anytime I've had to write something, I'm like, I just despise it. I, I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe that's why I do audio blogging <laughs> through a podcast um, and not actual blogging because, oh my gosh, I just do not like writing. <laughs> I think, so my brother and I are very opposite in that sense. My brother, my younger brother, he uh, he's a big writer. He loves writing. He writes poetry. He writes, he's working on a book. Like there's so many things that he likes when it comes to writing. But for myself, nope, not me. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved the writing. But to have to go back and look at every single sentence is it structured? Every word, like, oh, it's just, oh. Anyway, and it had to keep going back to the editor and going back because I really did do this in a very social way. Everything about the, the process was very social. The thesis statement, the cover design, the stories, putting pieces out there for people was I did in a very social way. And so I kept getting feedback. So I would send it off to the editor and then and then it would come back and I'd receive more feedback. So I'd go put the feedback. Then it had to go back. And it was just like. Well, Cora, I like asking the guest. We're here in San Antonio. What are the places around town that you enjoy? Whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a park, whether it's a, a bar, whether it's, you know, whatever it may be. Where are some, what are some of your favorite places around San Antonio? You know what? I personally love going down to the Riverwalk. And I know, I know it's a touristy place. I love going down there. 
And there's a, you know, we have a lot of my favorite little coffee shops around. And sadly, a lot of these mom and pop restaurants that I really love to go to in the coffee shops, not all of them made it through the pandemic. And that's, that's sad. So we'll have to find some new, exciting places. But when it's a, let's go out, you know, um, if it's not one of our little local in our neighborhood, mom and pops, we love going to the Riverwalk. I just, I love going down there. I love the vibe. I love all the people. There's, they've always got activities going on downtown. Now, I will say they've really upped the ante downtown. It's getting pretty fancy, fancy down there. Um, I love going down to the marketplace. I love going down to the theater on the Riverwalk. I just love, I love all of that stuff down there. I, I go down there all the time. I love just going down there and walking around. Well, and there's no shame in that. You know, I, I think I've had a few guests kind of mention that they enjoy the Riverwalk as well. And I, I enjoy it. You know, we, we refer to it as being a tourist in our own city. And, oh, that's all the touristy area, tourist trap, things like that. And sure, I mean, tourists do visit the Riverwalk. It's true. But it's your city to enjoy, right? Right. Just because other yeah. people come and visit it. In fact, that should that should make you want to visit it. Like other people right? are coming, are spending their hard-earned dollars to come visit these places. Like I mean, maybe you, you should go visit it. <laughs> For New Year's Eve, several years we've gone and gotten a, the New Year's Eve package. There's a lot of tourists down there. But for New Year's Eve, get in a hotel room, downtown San Antonio. It's a blast down there. Just staying down there. Down there's there. so many different things you can do. It's not just oh going down there at night or, or seeing the Christmas lights, which is oh, obviously yeah. beautiful. Now, uh, starting this year, you can even kayak on the downtown part of the Riverwalk, which is amazing. If, if any of the... Yeah, there's there's so many things you can do. So, I mean, absolutely. So there's no shame. There's no shame, Cora, in saying that the Riverwalk is your, one of your favorite places. Um, but Cora, I've really enjoyed our conversation today and on this recording. Um, I'm glad we get to kind of get to share this discussion with with the listeners of SA Talk. Um, before I let you go, though, I want to make sure you plug in any site, any event, anything you want the listeners to know of. Where can they find you? Well, they can find me. They can reach out. Um, I am very involved with. TEDx San Antonio. San Antonio does have a TEDx license. And so I do facilitate TEDx circles. So please look for that on the social media, LinkedIn or Facebook. So TEDx San Antonio, and then look for circles. I love everything TEDx San Antonio. Everything they put out is fabulous. And we're, we're getting gearing up for our annual event. So you can find me there. The circles is what I love about TEDx San Antonio circles is TEDx said, you know, there's a lot of content out there, but how about we start having conversations and connecting through the content? And so that's one of the things we take a TED talk and we really dive into it and we bring people together and have conversation about that. That, that to me, I think that's a really important component for community is to not just receive content, but to have the opportunity in your community to discuss and hear the really wide variety of perspective that's out there on any given topic, any given topic, and to do it in a healthy, productive manner that widens your, your perspective. We've had some incredibly powerful discussions over some of the TED Talks. I've loved it. I loved it. So, Well, and listeners can also find you at coachcora.com. Right. And get in contact with you. Yep. And I have my uh, information on my book there, Trapped. 
Perfect. Well, I encourage the listeners to go check that out. Order your copy of Trapped from Cora. Um, check out some of the services that she has and maybe hire her as your coach for your professional development. So Cora, again, thank you. I appreciate your time. Uh, I'm glad you're able to join me on SA Talk today. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. That wraps up my conversation with Cora Lawning. I'm going to take a quick ad break and I'll be right back with the question of the week. So stay tuned. Hey guys, it's Zach. As some of you may know, I help people plan for retirement. And as your advisor, I can not only show you how money truly works, but put you in control of your money today and in retirement. If you're looking to schedule a financial review, please give me a call at 210-760-0409. Welcome back into SA Talk. I want to say thank you again to Cora for joining me on this week's episode. I really enjoyed our conversation because it resonated with me on a personal level. Before I became self-employed at the end of 2019, I too worked for companies, and if you're a follower of the show, you already know that. Like I mentioned during the discussion, I've gone through DISC training, which for people who may not know is a communication style training where you find out more about your communication preference and how you like to function inside of a group or an organization. You either fall under a category of a D, an I, an S, and a C, which makes up the word DISC. And of course, you can be high in one letter or low in another letter or medium in one of those letters. Either way, You kind of find out a little bit more about yourself, how you like to communicate and function, and how to recognize that in others. But of course, we talked about how some organizations use that a little differently. In fact, I've also seen colleagues and sometimes even management use that DISC style to label somebody. And like Cora stated, that's not how it's meant to be used. Another important part of a conversation, at least in my own opinion was when we were discussing how people are sometimes afraid to leave a company that is really incapable of being loyal to them. That's something I've thought about a lot over the course of my working life, which I get is not very long compared to some people, and less so now that I'm self-employed, but still, I think about it a lot. And when I hear people mention that they like or dislike a job or complaining about something, I think about it, and it's so true. You have to remember, for the most part, you are in control. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't any barriers or injustices, or inequities. There definitely is, and you've heard me talk about those. And it's definitely not easy to just do whatever you want, work wherever you want, get whatever job title you want. But most things, career-wise, a lot of things at least, can be controlled to some extent. Your knowledge base, you can always learn, you can train, maybe get some certifications in something, continued education. Building your network is something you can control, right? Networking, attending networking events, being part of organizations, meeting people that work in your industry or different industries, setting goals for yourself, tracking those goals, taking your job and career seriously is something else you definitely have control of, right? Not just getting by and doing the bare minimum at your job. Not being complacent is another huge one. Recognizing trends in your own industry, which can be a little tough, especially if you're new, but it's very important, especially if it's an industry that goes as the market goes. But the list can go on. I think from this point forward, if I ever did go back and work for a company, which I hope I don't ever have to, but it could happen, I'll see my employer as my client, like Cora had mentioned. I have to remember that I am guiding me incorporated, which is something that Cora also says. I have to make decisions based on my career best interest. Anyway, 
what a great conversation this week. Like every week, I just come across some amazing people here in San Antonio and have some amazing conversations with them. And of course, Cora is no different. But moving on to the question of the week, based on our conversation and based on your own personal experience, do you think personality or communication style assessments are generally good for organizations? If you want to answer on Facebook or Instagram, find the question of the week post and comment below. If you want to answer on Twitter, just simply reply to the tweet and use hashtag SATalkAnswers. Really interested in hearing from some of you, the followers, the listeners, and seeing what your experience with any of those assessments has been like. But with that said, that is going to wrap up this week's episode of Essay Talk. I want to give a huge thank you to all of the repeat listeners. It means so much to me that you all keep listening to the episodes and the podcast and all the content that I put out. But I also want to thank the new listeners, of course, checking out the show for the very first time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Cora. I hope you go back and enjoy a lot of my previous conversations with all of the amazing guests that I was referring to earlier. But if you did enjoy this episode or any other episode of the podcast, I would encourage you to check out my other series, Searching for San Antonio, where I interview amazing small businesses and nonprofits here in San Antonio. If you want to help the podcast out and keep this podcast going, please give a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. Lastly, if you or any business owners you know are looking to advertise with a great local podcast, please reach out to me directly at Zachary at sapodnetwork.com. That's Zachary, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y at sapodnetwork.com. Thank you all again for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. See you again next week and Viva San Antonio.